If you would, that is our text this morning, Mark 10. If you have your Bibles uh, or your device, you can tap and scroll there. Uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 46. We're going to be looking at a greater context a little bit uh, this morning, but that's primarily where we're going to land. Now, Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, is a central figure of this story. He was in need, and he came to the realization of who Jesus was, who he was, and he had the boldness to expose his need in front of a crowd and came out and and is calling for his mercy, Jesus' mercy. Now, I have this question I've been thinking about all week. Why is it when we think of exposing our need or admitting that we're in need, it's tend to think of it as a negative thing. Like if I admit that I'm in need, I tend to think of it as a, a negative thing, like it's a negative uh, realization. And I've been kind of understanding this, but for some of us, to admit that we're in need to others is near impossible. Like the world could be caving in around you personally and someone comes up to you who you know loves you and cares for you and you know is talking to you in the lobby and they say hey how's it going and your response is fine right I mean good it's like there's some of us it's like almost impossible to admit that we are in need and this is this is kind of where I am. I mean, where God's been working on me in the last several months. Like, I'm realizing that in my story, it was so uh, easy for me. Like, growing up, I had jobs early. Uh, I, w- I made major decisions uh, on my own. Uh, it-, it was self-reliance, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know. I believed if you don't help yourself, God doesn't help you. You know, like, all of these mottos. And and I just remember being so self-reliant and self-sufficient to even admit that I was in need would actually to be like saying I'm failing at life to some degree. You know, it's like this, is, this idea of just self-sufficiency within me. And so God is, is pointing that out. And in a text like this, he is he's pointing right at it. And I'm reminded of, it, it just sounds, it sounds weird to actually say this, but to be human is to be constantly in need. All of us are breathing air right now, hopefully. Uh, all of us uh, need a meal. We are constantly in need. It reminds us that our greater need is something that is beyond ourselves. We are constantly in need of something that is beyond ourselves. We have to go to something to meet our needs. And the pattern in my life was this. I would have this need... And then I would go and try to like figure it out on my own or some struggle and try to figure it out on my own. And then when I have like some like action plan or action item, then I would come to God and say, okay, God, here's, here's kind of my options of what I'm thinking about. You know, like, what do you think? A or B, you pick, you know, help me out with whatever one. I mean, not, that's like a kind of a, a broad generalization, but really what I was doing was in my self-effort, in my self-sufficiency, trying to figure out how to handle all the things that life was throwing at me. And what I realize is how moronic that is in the sense that God already knows, but I was pretending like he didn't. And God, by his grace, invites us in. And so this is what I would say this morning of something that God has, is, is realizing within me. The thing that I need the most is the thing that I resist the greatest. The thing that I need the most is the thing that I resist the greatest. 
I mean, think about how many of us, you know, if you're in a community group or a Bible study, and you're, you're going around and you're, you're doing prayer requests or whatever, and then, like, no one, like, says any, like, personal prayer requests. It's just like, well, if y'all could be praying for my grandmother's son's brother's wife's cousin's girlfriend's dog threw up this morning, I think he has an allergic reaction. Would you pray for that? You know, and it just goes around and like everyone's is like some other person, you know, to pray for. And then like a week later, you realize that that person was going through this like tremendous tragedy. But I want to expose the fact that Bartimaeus, that we should take on the posture of Bartimaeus, son of David, have mercy on me. And actually to be in need of God is not weakness, but the greatest place that you could find yourself. That's where life begins. And so with that, would you pray with me this morning? I'm going to ask a couple of questions even as as we're praying. Father, would you give us eyes to see where we are trusting only in ourselves? to expose within us what we are truly relying on, where we are placing our functional trust and faith. God, that through your Spirit, you would give us eyes to see our true need, that you know far beyond what we even know. Thank you, God, for leading us with your grace how you do. Amen. Let me give a little bit of the context of the passage. So Bartimaeus is uh, on, on the road that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem where he's going to suffer and die. Now in, in this, uh, there is a huge crowd that is going to Jerusalem with him to celebrate Passover. So imagine just thousands of people flocking these streets, heading in the same direction. And in the midst of that, Bartimaeus calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. His friends, people around him, whoever it was, starts rebuking him, telling him to be quiet. But Bartimaeus actually says it louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, son of David is a messianic term. It's in the Old Testament, it's it's prophesied that through the line of David, through the line of King David, the Messiah is going to come. So when he is saying, son of David, what is he saying? I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you're the promised one. I believe that you're the anointed one, the one who is promised to us. I believe that you are who you say you are. So Bartimaeus shouts out now this. Now the crowd, it's important to know that the crowd has many different perspectives in it. You have some of the religious leaders and the, and the rabbis of the day who don't want people to believe that this is the actual Messiah. They're threatened. And so they're plotting to kill Jesus for the claims that he's making. They're actively plotting and pursuing killing Jesus. And so Bartimaeus, shouting out this messianic term, would be, they would want to silence him because they don't want any other people believing what Bartimaeus is proclaiming. Now also in the crowd, and Rob's going to talk about this more next week, you have people who are expecting Jesus to walk into Jerusalem as this kingly leader establishing his reign who's going to overthrow the Roman government who is ruling in Jerusalem at that moment. You have people expecting Jesus to be that kingly ruler who is going to set them free politically and if, if need be, through armed force and a, re- a revolution. 
And so they don't really want this king dealing with this blind beggar anymore. Jesus has got business to do in Jerusalem, so they rebuke him. But then you have others in the crowd who are amazed at who Jesus is, and they're believing the same thing that Bartimaeus is, that this is the son of David. So there's mixed perspectives in this crowd. Now, if you look with me, previous in Mark 10, in verse 17, Jesus has this interaction with this rich young man. Now, the reason why I set this up is because its context actually foreshadows what's going to happen with Bartimaeus. The rich young man is by uh, their worldview and religious system would be accepted by God, blessed by God. Why? Because obviously he's blessed by God because he's rich. God obviously loves and accepts and bless this man because he's rich. So this guy is obviously morally good. Now there's an there's a interaction, there's a narrative that happens between this rich young man and Jesus. And the rich young man is asking Jesus, how do you inherit eternal life? And they have this conversation about the law. And then Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Now, Jesus isn't saying he's not God here. He's actually exposing what the man believes, his worldview and his system. He's actually exposing that because the man doesn't believe that he's Messiah. The man just believes he's a rabbi. So Jesus is actually confronting his worldview that you think that people are good in their own right and can be good. But he's saying no one is good only God. Jesus isn't, isn't doing that. He's actually exposing the man because then the next phrase that he says it to the man is that he says, sell your possessions. Now, this isn't a call to the rich. He's not, he's not saying if you have money, you're evil. What he's saying is, is he is actually exposing what the man was putting his identity in, what the man was putting his acceptance with God in. He was exposing that and the man couldn't give it up. And then his disciples asked this question, if that guy can't get in, how are we, who on earth can inherit the kingdom of God? If that rich guy can't get in, now why would they ask such a question like that? Because they had the belief as well, and were taught the belief that it was your external obedience, your external evidence that made you right and acceptable with God. So Jesus is, is she had that on the, in Mark 10, and then you have Bartimaeus. Now, Bartimaeus is actually coming to Jesus with a posture of, have mercy on me. So he comes to Jesus and recognizing who Jesus is and recognizes it's not what he does that makes him right with God, that makes him acceptable to God, but it's only on the basis of what? Mercy. So you have Jesus flipping this worldviews right here. You have a rich young man who everyone would have said is acceptable and blessed by God. And then you have Bartimaeus, who everyone would have said, because you're blind, Bartimaeus, you did something. What did you do to have God curse you like this? Other parts in the gospel, there's evidence of that. Like, what has this man done? Was Was he born blind or was he just sinful? You know, like they ask these questions. And so Jesus actually flips upside down this worldview and says, no, Bartimaeus, it's your faith that has made you well because you understand. You understand who you are, you understand who I am, and you understand the basis of mercy alone, by grace. Do you see why the religious leaders would want to kill Jesus? I mean, does it now make sense why they're plotting actively to kill Jesus? He's not only trying to tear down their temple system, he's trying to tear down their whole ideology of how they actually view themselves as morally good and acceptable by the external things that they do to obey the law. 
And Jesus is saying, actually, you guys have it wrong. Bartimaeus is actually, this blind beggar who you thought was cursed, is actually coming and being made right with me rather than you. Those are fighting words, you know. That's, I think that's NIV. Uh, but, but you see kind of what's happening. The contrast between the two. The gospel, the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection is an offense It is an offense, an active offense to those who are relying on their works to make themselves acceptable to God. Because the gospel says that you cannot save yourself, that you aren't good enough, that you are, you need a substitute on your behalf to be made right with God. The gospel is an active offense to those who are relying on themselves. They're relying on the outward to make this inward change, but only God can change our hearts. When we base our acceptance and our standing on God with what we do and what we offer to God and all the things that we're doing, at best, it's called a performance-based faith. We know that we're in the midst of this when Jesus calls us to rest in his grace. And the first question we ask is, what do I have to do to rest in his grace? We know we're in the midst of this When we tie our worth, value, and acceptance by what we do, and when we don't read our Bible or do all the right things or we mess up like we're all prone to do, we feel incredible shame. And when we do all the right things that we know we're supposed to do, we feel incredible pride. It's a performance-based faith that's fixed on us making ourselves acceptable to God. It's working up a righteousness within ourselves and offering it to God, hoping that it's good enough rather than a righteousness that started with God and the gospel starts with God offering his righteousness on our, for our behalf and trusting that and saying we are secure, not because of what we've done, but what Christ has done for us in our behalf. So many of us are, are locked in just with the performance-based faith of trying harder, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. But Bartimaeus represents this different posture towards Christ. He is calling out to Jesus as the Messiah, but on the basis of mercy alone. He is coming as one in need, relying on grace. And if it's by grace, it can only be received, not earned. Now, I want you you to put yourself in the story. I've been trying to do this all week. Put yourself in the story of Bartimaeus. Imagine with me that you hear Jesus is coming and Jesus is, is walking, and here's your opportunity. But all of your life, you've heard from the religious leaders and maybe family members, uh, anyone else, that you have done something to make yourself blind. Like it's some sin that you have done. Now imagine Bartimaeus in this story. He's probably thinking, I'm not worthy of God's time. Like, there is something that I've done. Now, I was reminded this, this week of how many times um, someone has said or twisted something and what they have said and twisted about faith has actually kept you from hearing the true gospel and what Christ is actually saying. Some of you have grown up in in highly legalistic churches 
or you've listened to preachers on the, on the TV, stop doing that. Um, you know, there, there are just things that you guys have heard that keep you from hearing the actual words of Jesus. And I know this because I sit with you guys and it breaks my heart when I'm talking with you guys and you're talking about family members who have told you that you can't conceive because of some sin that you have in your life. Or someone who has told you that you have cancer because you don't have enough faith. Or someone who has told you that because of what you've done, God no longer sees you, hears you, accepts you, and neither do we, and so you've been cut off from your family. Or you've believed this lie that your acceptance with God is based on what you avoid and what you do, rather than what Christ has done for you. And so this morning, I am praying so eagerly that you would experience freedom from those things that people have said to you. That you would hear the true words of Jesus. You would hear the gospel message this morning. Now, Jesus says his faith has made him well. Jesus, now I'm going to give you a Sunday school answer. Who is the healer in this story? Jesus, right? So it's not the quantity of Bartimaeus' faith that has made him well. Because we know this in the other parts of the Gospels, we hear Jesus saying, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, so it's not the quantity, it's not like I'm really, 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 really sorry, or I have this amount of faith, and it's not even the quality of his faith, it's not like Bartimaeus didn't have any doubt or any fears or anything that he had to overcome in those things, it was the object of his faith that made him well. It wasn't the quantity, it wasn't the quality, it was the object of who he was putting his faith in that made him well. Although blind, Bartimaeus saw with perfect vision that day. Although blind, Bartimaeus saw clearly in that crowd, maybe the clearest of that crowd of who Jesus was and who he was. So what's Bartimaeus' response to Jesus calling him? Jesus, I mean, can you imagine uh, you, you call out, Son of David, have mercy on me, and then Jesus says, call him to me. I mean, can you imagine what's going on in Bartimaeus' head and in his soul and in his spirit? And this is, this is the response that I wish we all could have. He throws off his cloak, jumps up, and comes to Jesus. There is a sense that Bartimaeus wasn't going to just hide out any longer. And how many of us carry around this deep sense of spiritual makeup trying to pretend that we're not blemished? Bartimaeus was like done with that. He throws off his cloak and he comes to Jesus. And the reality is, is that God already knows. He already knows where we're messed up. He already knows where we're in need. He already knows of our, our sin. He already knows of our, our prone to anger. He already knows all those things, but yet he calls and pursues us with his great grace, not because of who we are. You don't have to hide out anymore. God already knows. And grace isn't clean yourself up to make yourself acceptable to God. It's based on what God has done for us even while we were still broken. Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet dead, while we were yet rebellious, while we were yet, Christ died for us. Grace is meant to draw us in, not push us away. 
So wherever we're trying to find our life outside of Jesus, wherever we're trying to find our worth, value, identity, it is a trust transfer from those things to Christ. It is actively trusting him more. It trusts Christ alone. When we come to live with his power at work within us, we die more to ourselves the more we experience true freedom in Christ. This phrase just stuck out to me this week. God's power for transformation lies just beyond your self-reliance. God's power, the gospel's power, Jesus' power to transform us lies just beyond our self-reliance. The insecurity and exhaustion of trying to make ourselves acceptable to God. The release of our pride in our efforts, the judgment of others, the comparison trap, the shame of not living up to these standards. We need to come to God as blind, hungry beggars who throw ourselves at his feet pleading for mercy because we have finally come to the end of ourselves and realize that the system that we put all of our hope and trust in does not satisfy The things that we've been looking for, our status, our reputation, where we live, where our kids go to school, our careers, what this person thinks of us, they will not satisfy. And until we come to realize that those things are broken and bankrupt, then we will never turn our lives over to find true life. So we try to prove ourselves to others by our own efforts and our performance But I'm coming to believe personally within myself, as God has been revealing this to me, that our self-righteousness is just as much a rejection of God's love than someone who flat out denies God. I am coming to believe the core of my conviction that our self-righteousness is just as much a rejection of God's love as than someone who flat out denies that there even is a God. What do I mean by that? To refuse his mercy, to refuse his grace, is to say that I am not in need of you. Faith in Jesus and what he has done shifts our need for self-righteousness because we no longer need to come to him with what we've done. We only need to come with him with a repentant helplessness like Bartimaeus. You must admit that you are not righteous within yourself and you need help, that you need a savior And it's only when we come to realize that he is life that we finally truly surrender. And so the Savior, Jesus the King, is asking us to follow him, not to prosperity, not to wealth, not to health, but to suffering and death. Death of trusting ourselves, death of trying to find our life within ourselves or within others, And it's to lay down our selfish activity, our religious activity, our striving for to live from the outside in, and he calls our name individually. It's not just a ransom for all, it's also a personal invitation. Bartimaeus then begins following Jesus on the road. Now, this is a phenomenal thing. Jesus is heading where? To Jerusalem. What is he going to do in Jerusalem? He's going to suffer and die. So Bartimaeus receives his sight and then begins following Jesus to the very place where Jesus is going to suffer and die. C.S. Lewis says it this way about giving up our lives and dying to ourselves. 
Give up your lo- yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day and the death of your body in the end. Submit with every fiber in your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you haven't given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look in yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look to Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. He goes on to say, If there is a debt, a scarlet stain that we cannot pay and cannot cleanse within ourselves, then there we find the cross that is the only way to life through his death and atoning sacrifice. It is by grace alone, in faith alone, in him alone. Let me ask this question this morning. Who are you in the crowd? Who are you in the crowd? Can you be honest with who you are in the crowd? Whether you are weary and have been listening to voices saying that you're not worthy of God's love and time, would you respond to his divine calling today to know him and walk with him? Whether you have been trusting in your own self-efforts, your self-righteousness, your status to earn God's attention, or have been viewing yourself higher than others, today respond to his call like a blind man seeking mercy. Whether life situations find you weary in a weary place and you are tired this morning, he is calling you to rest in him and his grace. He is calling your name. I want you to picture him. Actually, if you can, just listen for his calling. Like he is actually calling you this morning. There is a divine invitation to each one of us to know him. We don't just trust the gospel once. We continually trust it. We don't just come to place our faith in the gospel and then rely on self-effort to grow and to move and to live. We trust the gospel continually and rely on his grace to sustain us, to empower us, and to change us. Joe Thorne says this quote, When the gospel is central in our lives, we experience spiritual transformation, not just for moral improvement. And this change does not come about by our own willpower, but by the resurrection of Christ. Our hope for becoming what God has designed and desires for us is not trying harder, but trusting more. Relying on this truth and the Spirit to sanctify us, it is a trust transfer from the self-sufficiency we find within ourselves to Christ's supremacy. Because of what he has done for us, I can freely admit that I am in need. I am more sinful than I would ever dare like to acknowledge in front of you all today. But because my faith is in Christ and what he has done, I am far more accepted than I ever dared hope. Because of what Christ has done for us, we are his, we are known, we are his children in spite of us, but because of what he has done. I can't picture a better way to conclude this morning with an invitation to trust Christ and what he has done more than through the Lord's table. 
So I'm going to invite the band uh, to come up and the, and the ushers to pass the elements. And as they're passing the elements, I want uh, to read a few things for us just to center in on what we're doing here. I'm reading this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. And in it, he said, A Christian is not someone who is good, but who has tasted the goodness of God. How true that is for us this morning. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is not forced on us. It is a personal call to each one of us to believe that he lived the perfect life that we couldn't, to trust his death, paid the price we owe, that he conquered death, and that we will be with God forever. Until we personally accept what he has done, we do not have Christ's righteousness covering us. We are still trusting in ourselves or someone else. There has to be a trust transfer. At the Last Supper, Jesus offers the bread and the cup as representation of his body and his blood poured out on our behalf, his blood shed for us, and he invites us to come and eat this morning. If you want to be reconciled to God, then first you must accept and trust in Jesus. And maybe for the first time, you're trusting and recognizing your need. For there is no salvation where there is not acknowledgement of being saved from something. So whether this is your first time to place your trust and faith in Christ, or whether this is the hundredth time to place your faith and trust in what he has done on your behalf, or whether this is the thousandth time to trust that it is by grace. You think of this question. Jesus is passing by and he is calling you to himself. What will your response be? As you hold the bread in the cup this morning, I'm going to read from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. If you could, just close your eyes if you already have the elements. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from him men hide their faces, he was despised and was esteemed not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As you're sitting there, are you personally laying upon your transgressions, your iniquities on him? His death becomes the ransom to set us free, to pay a debt that we owed. He died in our place as a substitute. We were in need of a savior. We had a debt each one of us that we could not pay on our own, we are in great need. Because of his great love for us, he chose up to give everything for us. Would you stand with me? We trust in his body broken for us on our behalf, and we 
actively and intentionally make a trust for from our self-reliance to his perfect life on our behalf. Take and eat. Because of his life poured out for us, his blood shed for us, he paid a price that we could not pay within ourselves, and we actively and intentionally put our trust in him and what he has done for us on the cross. Drink. This morning, I want us to respond in song, but with a posture of Bartimaeus, that Bartimaeus came because of the grounds of mercy, not because of who he was. So would you stand, remain standing with me as we sing this song, Forever Rain? And there's this uh, phrase in here that I want you to picture Bartimaeus running and throwing his cloak off and running to Jesus, the healer of all. I'm running to your arms, and that's where your presence is. So would you sing in response with us this morning?